You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to Absent Minded on a beautiful sunny summer day in Montreal. It's a busy weekend here in the city. Formula One has taken over. The Canadians got a new prospect wearing number 18 in Lance Stroll. I don't think he's going to make the team though. Just just a hunch. But uh, I mean, like he's been a fun- fast, you know, hockey goes fast route. <laughs> Can well, he play left defense? Because uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, we need one of those. <laughs> Honestly, though, for a guy who who didn't really grow up in Montreal and has spent most of his time in in, in places where they don't have hockey, um, I think he lives in Monaco and and you know Switzerland. Obviously, have hockey there, but that's not what his focus has been. He didn't look that bad on skates. Got to say, obviously not NHL level, but he didn't look uh, uh, too much out of place. Uh, I, if if I had to bet on any F one driver though to to play hockey well, I'd probably go with Valtteri Bottas just because he's Finnish, and guys who are Finnish tend to play hockey well, especially in twenty nineteen. The other two voices here. I'm Jared Book, by the way. Uh, before we get too far into a tangent, uh, I'm joined by uh, Patrick Bexell and Scott Matla. Patrick, you just uh, had a conversation with Kristen Folien of the Canadians. Uh, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm. I'm. Vacation is coming up. You know, all the grades are set for for the semester, and uh, yeah, it's just like a few days of, of uh, playtime left in school, and and then I have eight weeks of vacation. So I'm damn good. <laughs> you can't complain about that. And and Scott, you just came back from the the combine last week in Buffalo. How are you doing? I am doing quite well. Work's a little bit hectic. We're going into the summer season and working as much as I do in the beer side of our store. It's obviously exceedingly popular. And then combining that with heading into the draft and all the work we do for Eyes on the Prize, it's been a hectic few weeks. But looking forward to the next uh, month or so here. A lot of fun stuff coming up. And you mentioned the draft, and that's obviously where we're going to focus the the start of this podcast on. It it seems like. This year, there's so much volatility in the middle of that first round, which just happens to be where the Montreal Canadiens are. It it feels a lot like last year, because last year, drafting third, there was, what, four or five guys that were legitimate shots for that pick? And now, you're looking at pick number 15, and there's, like, there's four or five defensemen they can pick at 15. And, and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Obviously, guys ahead that could fall as well. Uh, we'll start with you, uh, Scott. What, what are you What are you looking at at the draft? Right. What's the big storyline for you? It's the fact that Montreal could pick literally anybody. It's like the top ten seems pretty well in place. Maybe shuffling a few guys, but outside of that, it's a crapshoot on who might be available. You know, who's going to fall? Who's going to rise? Montreal has the benefit of there's any number of good players available, likely available at 15, that they don't have to worry about trading up or down unless there's someone like they're hyper-focused on. 
They could draft Arthur Kaliev and get a 50-goal 17-year-old. They could, you know, draft Victor Soderstrom or Thomas Harley and get a defenseman for the future that they might need. It's, for Montreal going into this, it feels like you pick best player available regardless of who it is. Um, I think it was Mark Dumont on Twitter. We were talking about this. He said, you take the player who is most likely to make the NHL at 15. If it's a goalie, you take the goalie. If it's a forward, you take the forward. If it's a defenseman, you take the defenseman, regardless of what the team needs. That's what later rounds in development are for. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned a couple of defensemen. Obviously, around that number 15 pick, there's a couple of uh, Swedish defensemen that are probably going to be uh, on the board or at least close in that slot. Uh, and Patrick, what are you looking at? Uh, speaking of Sweden, uh, looking forward to the draft. I'm actually thinking, you know, is it worth trading down? That, that's what I've been thinking the last couple of days. You, as you yeah. say, the volatility in the draft and what are you looking for? Uh, can you get a bargaining? Can, can you get another second rounder? Can you get another third rounder? Uh, we saw what, what the different picks did last year for for um, development and, and what you picked in, in uh, different rounds. So I think that's what I would... Like, if you have someone that you really, really want and you know that the next two, three teams uh, are looking for, for at each other, who will take the, the goal scorer, the defender, the goalie, whatnot, yeah, it might be worth trading down. It, it might be worth taking that gamble. Uh, but obviously, yeah, I'd love to see another suite in... Uh, <laughs> In Montreal, and uh, Christian said he was feeling outnumbered uh, with all the Finns. So why not? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, he, there could be a, at least a little bit of of help on the way in terms of Sweden. Uh, obviously, they have uh, Jakob Olsson uh, on the way. I was going to mention other names, but they're just Finns who play in Sweden, so uh, mm-hmm. or played in Sweden uh, at the time. So yeah, there, there's definitely a a Finnish pipeline in, in Montreal. There could be another Swede on the way in Montreal. We'll get to that a little bit later when we talk about free agency. I'm pretty sure you can guess who I'm talking about. But you mentioned a good point, Patrick, about trading down. And and Scott as well mentioned about goaltenders because there is one goaltender who is way above the rest in this draft. If you look at rankings, if you look at what scouts are saying, and that's Spencer Knight. And he's ranked right now right about the 15-20 mark. And what's interesting about that is that right after the Montreal Canadiens pick, on at pick number 16 is the Colorado Avalanche, who don't have a goalie of the future right now. But you have to look at the fact that a, a team might want to creep up ahead of Colorado who have two first-round picks. Remember, they're, they're picking at four with Ottawa's pick. They can probably get a defenseman or a forward there, depending who goes number three, whether it's Alex Turcott, the forward. Uh, there's a lot of other forwards. Or... Bowen Byram, who is the top defenseman in this draft and probably going top four or five, regardless of anything that goes on. So you have Colorado at four. They can t- afford to take that goalie if they like Spencer Knight. Obviously, there's other goalies later in the draft and goaltending, scouting, especially for 17-year-olds, is voodoo. So there's not always that opportunity to necessarily know what you're getting in a goaltender either. But there is that possibility as well. But yeah, there's going to be so much different, differing, differing of opinions. And that's something that the, really the last few years has really been emphasized by lots of people 
in the draft is that all these teams have different boards and they're completely different. They only have about 80 to 90 guys on it that they're going to draft at all. And most of them don't even get halfway on their list before the draft is over. But one thing that stuck out during the combine, and Scott, you were there, is Trevor Timmons was a little bit too upfront about picking a defenseman. Like, he's usually a guy who keeps his cards really close to his his chest and is really secretive. And he's like, yeah, there's lots of defensemen out there, especially on the left side. And I'm like, all right. All right, when, what, should we should we start putting down a forward for this pick? Like, are, are you going to pick a goalie? You know, I, I feel like he's being a little bit too open, and, and that's uh, that's some four four dimensional chess that that Trevor Timmons is playing. Yeah, because I was in an interview with Ryan Suzuki when Timmons was at the platform next to me, and Trevor Timmons is very cordial in the way that he speaks when he talks about prospects in the drafting process. He speaks with pride and joy about it. Like, you can tell how much it means to him. Last year, he mentioned with all the picks they had, he called it getting a second Christmas, if you will, with all the picks that they had. They have 10 picks this year. And well, he mentions that there's a lot of left side defensemen. A lot of these guys are going to shuffle down into later rounds, too, because, you know, there's only 31 picks in a round. Some guys are going to fall, so he may be banking on or making a note of, here's X number of players we have at 15, and then a list of people to keep an eye on if they start falling that he's paid attention to that when they come up with their two second round picks that he, you know, he gets them right there and they could be a left defenseman, they could be a right defenseman. Like you said, we don't know. It's wouldn't be beyond Mark Bergevin and Trevor Timmons to kind of be, you know, oh, we're looking left defense, we're looking left defense, we're looking left defense, and then draft a center or something like that, you know? They are very sneaky in the way that they can't, they play misdirection a lot, it feels like. The only thing we can be certain of is they have uh, big arms. Oh, yes. <laughs> Trevor Timmons is terrifyingly large for a man his size. Like, I, I want to know who can do more push-ups, Trevor Timmons or Mark Bergevin. There's a photo I took. He's sitting in the bleachers after lunch, after his interview. He's sitting there and he's got his hand. He's resting his elbow on his leg and he's got his hand on his chin. He's watching prospects do the bench pressing thing. And all I could think is he must be thinking about how much more he can lift than all these scrawny 18-year-old kids right now. And it kind of makes me laugh a little bit. It's funny you mentioned uh, that his scrum was at the same time as Ryan Suzuki's scrum because it probably saved Ryan at least – five, six extra questions about Nick that would have come from the Montreal media. So uh, that's probably a little bit of uh, ha- happy circumstances for, for Ryan because uh, he, d- he did seem like he was a little bit sick of answering questions about Nick, especially because it's supposed to be about him at this time. I could only imagine how many uh, combine questions he was asked by the teams uh, about his brother as well, going about that. But looking at the draft, and and the Canadians' history in the draft, there's always one somewhat surprising pick early on that they do. Whether last year, obviously, it was Alexander Romanov, who came off the board much earlier than, than most people would have expected. And to me, there's a lot of guys who are in that maybe mid to late second round range that the Canadians are going to get their hands on. They, they have a pick at 46. 
They have a pick at 49. And that's usually like a bonus round because in the first round, teams tend to go, I don't want to say conservative, but they do go a little bit conservative because they don't want, they want a guy who's going to play in the NHL. They don't necessarily swing for a, for a home run in the first round. But the second round is where you get those guys that have talent, but one or two flaws that you hope can get away. And you look at the list of second round picks in, in NHL history. And there's a lot of talent there. Patrice Bergeron was a second-round pick. Shea Weber was a second-round pick. P.K. Subban was a second-round pick. There's a lot of guys taken in the second round of the draft, and there's more that I just can't think of right now, that you can start to to maybe project a little bit more and don't worry about the flaws as much when you get to that, that pick 46, 49 range. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do with those two second-round picks because when you get – three top 50 picks that's that's a like you mentioned it's kind of like christmas for trevor timmons because that's that's gold right there when it when it comes to uh to getting picks like that yeah it's it's like you said in the second round there's so many good players that are there and that's where it's if you get someone good in the first round that's great and everything but scouting teams who are good make their money in the later rounds, because that's where you find so many of the gems. And we've seen Montreal go to Europe. Alexander Romanov wasn't ranked 38, but clearly they're European guys, and they did their work on scouting this player, found a gem. It's And it wouldn't be the first time, like you said, that they found guys in later rounds. And doing that extra legwork and having the staff that takes care of it is where they're going to make their money going forward. And they've proven they can do that. And I with the way this draft is shaking out, they're going to find something great in rounds two through seven after, outside of the first day, I should say. I think that the most important thing with Europe is actually the European combine. I yeah. can't fathom that, you know, other teams haven't jumped on that and, and have a combine together at least. Um, and seeing Capo, Kako not joining in for, for, for the main um, combine this year, you have to start wondering when this is an excellent chance to promote the game in Europe. This is this is an excellent chance to to show some environmental awareness where uh, you don't take the European guys over. You have a combine in Europe, and you maybe send some of the NHL team, uh, NHL uh, high level um, people over along with the teams, and, and you you make a thing out of it, and and. It can benefit NHL in so many different ways, but you know the the, the I mentioned it in one of my articles. Uh, Coach Olson, a lot of Swedish coaches have said like there are so many days being lost, training days for this um, party for the combine, but the whole summer after the draft for for traveling around. And Montreal has done that very smartly as well. They uh, they have the uh, rookie camp or development camp directly after the draft nowadays to, to limit the transition and the, the travel time for, for European prospects. And I think this is, this is the way to go. And, and Montreal is, you know, we deserve to give them, we, we need to give them credit where, when it's needed uh, and they deserve it because if we're fair and, and give them criticism, we need to also highlight the, the good things they do. And we have highlighted Toronto a lot of times and, uh, this is an area in where where Montreal is is actually leading the charge right now. Absolutely, and 
you mentioned coming over from Europe and, and things like that. When, when Montreal signed Kurt Kaniemi to the entry-level contract and was going to bring him over to main camp, the three of us all kind of raised our eyebrows because at the time we didn't feel like there was a chance he was going to make the NHL roster at the, at the time. You know, June, July last year, we were like, okay, he's going to go back to Finland, play for his dad, and, and play top-line center minutes over there. And they obviously had a feeling that he was going to be able to come over and make a difference. And, man, the, the difference, even from the rookie camp to, to, the, to the start of the Canadians training camp, was night and day. And, and that's the kind of thing that you're looking at. You're looking at players who will improve. You know, you can be the best player at 17 or 18, but if you don't get any better, what what good is that to an NHL team? Sure, you you're you're a great scorer now, or you're you're bigger than anyone now. But when you get up to the NHL level or the AHL level, even it's not the same thing. And I think that's what makes drafting players from Europe so enticing is that the top prospects over there, and even some of the not top prospects, are playing with men. There obviously are some who play with their under twenty teams and 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 are developing there. But a good number of them, especially in Finland, are playing top-tier minutes against men. So it, it gives them a little bit of advantage. Look, look at Kapokako at the World Championships. Jack Hughes wasn't doing that. And, and he's expected to be the best prospect. And it, I guess it goes a little bit more of what I was saying about improving and, and things like that. But you, know, you mentioned the Canadians going over to Europe and – they really trust their European scouts and they really trust what they have over there. And the combine is just uh, another chance to see these players and maybe the ones down their, their list a little bit that uh, they can get in rounds four, five, six, and seven and, and make a difference. I also think that, you know, with Romanov, they show that they have their own draft board and, yeah. and they're not going to care what everyone else thinks. <laughs> Rumor has it that some other teams were high on Romanov as well, but but they went for it. Uh, it was a swing and, and it was obviously a hit, uh, at, at least so far. Uh, he has had a tremendous season, but we're not going to talk about him right now. But yeah. but you look at this and, uh, you know, if, if they think Bjorn Foto is the guy at, at 15, they're going to grab him because of that combine uh and and it might also be the way that they're moving up for someone that they consider higher on their list than anyone else does yeah. and and they're going for it um i wouldn't be surprised if if uh, they move up uh, somehow with with a third rounder or a fourth rounder uh, to move up one of those uh mid second round picks the second round, if they don't move out or move up, there's so many guys that could be available there that have played in these men's leagues as defensemen or as forwards that it's the adjustment period. Even if they played half the season in a junior league and then played minutes in the men's league, they already have so much experience. It feels like this year, every prospect from Europe that I talked to had played at least, you know, a dozen or so games at in the SHL or in Liga. And it's incredible that it's like this person's 17, 18 years old and they're playing top four minutes. 
drafting one of them, even if they're still a few years away, they're a lot closer than they might have been in the past because of how much better the hockey is getting over in Europe now for a lot of these players. Yeah, a lot is said about the the level of Liga. And it, on a level of pro leagues, it's probably fourth. Patrick, you could probably speak to this better, but you have to figure it's NHL, KHL, SHL, and in Liga. Is that fair to say, Patrick? Um, it's a toss-up, I yeah. think, with Liga and AHL. Okay. Um, it's yeah. because the top lines in NHL are obviously NHL lines. Yeah. Uh, and but but obviously I, I for me from a yeah. European perspective I see that the the bottom of AHL is is wouldn't make it in Liga yeah. so so you have those kind of yeah. of, of differences yeah. um, so, so you're talking about a yeah, top four it, top four it, top five league with, with Liga yeah and the the thing is like yes it's not the NHL it's not the SHL or the KHL but it's still a professional league the Liga is better than playing in the CHL so. You know, if you if you have a player who you mean, you mean CHL in North the America. junior league, yes, yes, not yes, the yes, Champions the, Hockey yes, League, the CHL, <laughs> the junior league, yeah. But yeah, you have a player who can play in that. You, you look an example that that's coming to mind right away is Alexander Texier, the Columbus prospect, who played in Liga on the same team as Yoni Ikinen, and went to the AHL, played a handful of games there, and played in the playoffs and had almost, I think, a point a game in the playoffs, or at least in the first round he did uh, before they, they met up against the, the Boston Bruins. But that that's the kind of thing that you get with these prospects and maybe gets you to, to pick them a little bit higher than you normally would. And Mark Bergevin has said time and time again, if you like a guy, you get him. You don't wait and hope that somebody else takes him. You know, there's examples of that in very recent drafts in terms of Jesperi Kutkaniemi at three, Romanov uh, last year. And if you like a guy and the Canadian scouting staff has shown more hits than misses, and yes, there are misses if you look at the history, but every team has misses. And what what Montreal has done more often than not is is hit. And, you know, we could talk about development for, for days if we wanted to, but that that's an aspect that seems to be getting better. They're, like Patrick said earlier, and wrote an article about they're leaving their prospects in Europe, and it's helping. You know, you look at guys like Lucas Vedemo and Arturi Lekkinen. They're guys who they're they're letting sit in in, in Europe and and learn the game there. Romanov is another example of that. Well, you can't really bring Romanov over. <laughs> no, you can't. You can't. That's that's that. You, they don't really have a choice when it comes to Romanov, despite what other people. May think, but Ilanen <laughs> is definitely one of those guys yeah. that probably should have, I mean, like could have gone over. Yeah, well, he was hurt too. It's hard to judge right away. Uh, but, but yeah, but I'm saying, I'm saying, like a couple of years ago, yeah. uh, they would have brought him over mm-hmm. uh, directly after the draft, probably uh, with the, which was the route a lot of Finnish players took. But with the program they have, and with the um, league taking pride in in players going directly over to nhl uh, i think they've looked at, at quite a few uh, swedish clubs and uh, i spoke with uh, the pelicans uh, gm and, and he was very honest and said well we look at you we try to improve that you as in sweden and and then you look at us and you try to improve on that and so we, we're helping each other getting better all the time and and we look at it this way 
okay, now Finland has done this. Okay, we can do that, but how do we improve it? Because we're a step behind. And this is how the small nations, and then let's be honest, let's call Finland, Sweden, Czech, uh, Swiss, and, and Slovakia, the small countries. You know, Germany is going to be there in a few years as well. And uh, we, we look at each other, we take the best bits, and we try to prove them, uh, improve them. We try to uh, set them up to, so it suits our um, culture a little bit better. Yeah, and the, the thing that, that strikes me is that it's it's working. <laughs> you know, you, you look at you look at Finland, and it's no accident. Even when it comes to you know whether it's the under eighteen, and this you know last year the under 18s they actually struggled quite a bit. They, you know, they lost in the quarterfinals to the U.S. And this year, it, it was just completely you know turned around for them, and. Obviously, the men's world championships with a roster with zero NHL goals, and that just shows the depth of their program. Because yes, you know people are saying, "Oh, Canada didn't have their best lineup." Well, well, neither did Finland. <laughs> Finland didn't have their best lineup. Finland had their worst lineup <laughs> in years. Yeah. You know, it, it's on the other hand, and I'm going to die on this hill. <laughs> they had the best coach in the tournament, no doubt. Wait, you, you think he's he's better than Ali Vigno? Is that what you're saying, Patrick? Yeah. <laughs> I think he's better than uh, at least 50% of the NHL coaches. <laughs> that, I don't know if that's exactly a high bar, though, the cross. I was going to say, like, Jack Capuano just got hired as a coach again. Michel Therrien just got hired as a coach again. Mike Yoke just got hired as a coach again. For the love of God, I know we've touched on this before. Try something new. I'm begging you, <laughs> for the love of God. <laughs> yeah, I remember I, the the one podcast that that Julian McKenzie joined us on. That was pretty much what he, our our whole second half of the podcast was. Come on, do something different. Do something different. And and uh, yeah, not not many teams have have done that yet. Um, which is which is funny because. They trust these coaches to develop their prospects, but not to coach the NHL level, which seems backwards to me uh, if you don't want to give these guys a chance. Speaking of you know, giving, giving guys a chance, and we'll, we'll move on to free agency, and we're still almost a little under a month away from actual free agency, but that doesn't stop people from writing about free agency. And you know, every year... The Montreal Canadiens are linked to players and people are hoping for a big splash. But this year, especially compared to last year or even the year before, just feels different. Because this year, I, they're, they're definitely one of the top five teams on the rise. If you take everything into consideration. and. There is also a very good, at this point, people can re-sign up until July 1st. And, you know, we've seen that with, with Steven Stamkos especially. John Tavares did not do that. But you look at the potential free agents that are out there, and, you know, half the Columbus Blue Jackets can be included in that. But when you look at it, and the two names we're going to talk about are Eric Carlson and Matt Duchesne, Eric Carlson, the Ottawa Sun, said his wife wants to come back to Ottawa or Montreal, apparently. And then Matt Duchesne, Elliot Friedman, said that 
there are one of the two teams with Nashville for Matt Duchesne. And if you're a young player, or, or in Arlson's case, a little bit older player, not that he's old, but Montreal is a kind of place where they have the cap room, they have the young players, they have Carey Price. It, it seems like a complete 180 from you know 12 months ago when John Tavares wouldn't even give Montreal an interview. I think the the um, I spoke with Christian Follin yesterday, uh, as as you as you mentioned in the start of the pod. But I think it comes down to um, a lot of people, me included, uh, thought uh, Montreal would be bottom out this year. But uh, they built a team. They built it very well. Uh, the team came together, and there is a lot of interesting things about the team from, from Christian Follin in, in in the pod coming out at the same day as this one, I think, um, where, where he partly talks about how he could change his defensive style thanks to playing in front of uh, Kerry Price, but also how the team has gelled uh, enormously. And they, they took pride in the fact that uh, the Carolina Hurricanes and uh, Columbus Blue Jackets actually went through uh, a deep run in the playoffs uh, because it showed them how close they were to to do the same if they have gotten in. Uh, so so it, it was really a positive note that Christian Foline said from the team. And obviously, people talk to each other, teammate, former teammates speak to each other, former uh, um, colleagues um, in, in national teams speak to each other. And this will help Montreal. He also, and I'm going to just leave it there, spoke a little bit about the pressure of playing in Montreal. And I think maybe that has changed a little bit. The perception around the league has changed a little bit. Yeah, and for Montreal, a year ago it was, this team's only going to score five goals all year, and you know they're going to struggle. They're going to be a lottery team. Why is anyone going to go there? And then they put together a 97-point season where, in most normal years, they would have been comfortably in a playoff spot, and this whole narrative is different. And now you look at it in a year where they're likely going to be better. Yes, Barry Kotkaniemi is another year older. Max Domi is another year into the system. Carey Price is clearly back to being Carey Price. And all they need is that one piece. And Matt Duchesne's been rumored since three, four years ago, I think. He might be one of the most mentioned names linked to Montreal outside of Wayne Simmons for the past half decade that I've been working at Eyes on the Prize. And Jager. Don't don't, don't forget Jager. Yeah, Jager's still going to be rumored, even though he's playing in the Czech second <laughs> league and scoring like six goals a game, like that guy in your beer league. But Eric Carlson is something new and exciting. He's not just a star Eric Carlson, even at like 75% on half a groin, is one of the top 10 defensemen in the NHL. The man just creates points and directs offense. And you're looking at a team like Montreal, whose style is very up-tempo now, and they have a chance to add a megastar like Eric Carlson and have a right side that could be Shea Weber, Jeff Petrie, and Eric Carlson in some way, shape, or form. And that's ridiculous. It's nice to be able to actually think and it'd be a legitimate possibility of happening because they have the cap space. 
And they're a team that right now, even if it's not a seven-year deal or anything, having Eric Carlson come in seems to just make sense for Montreal. Also, with, with a few empty seats last season, he would fill them up quite nicely directly. Yeah, if you want to make a big splash, uh, Eric Carlson is that big splash. And, and, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, he's not 100%. He's hurt. He's missed less games over the last three years than Shea Weber has. So I think that he kind of falls into a hole, not a hole, but a, a role that people don't like defensemen who handle the puck and lose it. It's not just Eric Carlson. It's Jeff Petrie falls into that category. P.K. Subban fell into that category where you remember the mistakes. And another free agent to be is is Jake Gardner, who is a left-handed defenseman, who I think, if you put him next to Shea Weber, would would work as well. But he's another guy that you're going to remember the turnovers he makes and not the solid play he provides otherwise. And I I don't know when that perception is going to shift. Maybe it's going to be when, you know, you have guys coming up like, you know, Thomas Harley in the draft, going back to the draft, you know, he he, he's, he told Arpin Basu in The Athletic that he is, he has a growing respect for defense. And he's a defenseman. And that's how he sees the defensive side of the game. So uh, maybe that's the shift. You know, you look at guys like, you know, Cam York, who's, you know, put up points and uh, Adam Fox in in the NCAA, who had the most points per game of any player, never mind defenseman or forward, any player in the NCAA last year. So it might be a, a shifting dynamic when you look at, when you look at this and obviously the, it's it's going to take some time because, you know, people are still having those conversations. But if you turn the puck over a lot, but you're still considered a good defenseman, that's a good thing because it's it's not easy to have the, the puck on your stick at all times. Yeah, and it's the way the game is going now. You look at a lot of these guys, it's rare that you see, and this ties into the draft, a defense first guy going earlier in the first round. I mean, Moritz Sater this year is one of those unique guys, but even he talked about, he's like, I played, you know, defensively to start, but as I got confident, I wanted to carry the puck more and do this and that. You look at a lot of these guys who are going in the first round or are going to be play or coming up soon. Even the guy that Montreal signed this offseason, they can move the puck. You can learn defense I would say defense and positioning easier than you can learn to carry the puck and learn how to read offensive plays past the neutral zone. And for a team like Montreal that wants to be dynamic, they need guys like that. And it's uh, Eric Carlson, even with his injuries and everything is still that guy. If they can find a way to get him on the ice in easier minutes and in, you know, alongside whoever in the offensive zone, Montreal's going to watch their goals and their power play goals just pile up going forward. I mean, like today's game is also about creating a, a superiority, an advantage somewhere on the ice. And when you have a player like Eric Carlson uh, or another offensive-minded uh, defender, you're going to be able to create that 
space or, or that overload on one side uh, and has have the whole defense shift and that will leave someone open at the at the opposite side and just getting the puck over there and and uh, finish it off but but it that's how you want to play it's a sort of a handball or a basketball uh, kind of way of thinking yeah absolutely and you know anybody who's watching the the NBA finals right now can see what a difference it makes when you have somebody who the defense has a double team and you have somebody who can see the play well enough to to find the open person and hockey's going in that direction obviously there's less set plays in hockey than there are in basketball but it, the the concept's the same when you look at that and you know Scott you mentioned you know having a defensive of Weber Petrie and Carlson you get those guys, you're guaranteed to have pretty much one of them on the ice the entire game in terms of even if you, you play, play them together, you know, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed one of them on the ice at all times, which is, you know, crazy to think about. Yeah, and you could probably put Weber uh, on the left side as well because he covers most of the defensive zone and then just let Carlson roam. Yeah, j- just, just make Weber the central defender to take a soccer term. Just put, just put him yeah. <laughs> to make him the central defender, and and you know, uh, I I covered the the Canadian this year, and the Calgary Inferno for the first part of their season played a, a torpedo system where they just played basically a four one system. I don't think the NHL is there yet, <laughs> but but Weber is the kind of guy you can you can trust to to play that one one back, and you know just have him shoot every now and then, and clear the front of the net and that's that's all you need from Shea Weber you don't need him to especially when you have a, a Carey Price coming back <laughs> into his yeah usual skill set yeah exactly and the team did take a turn when Weber came back in terms of scoring chances and things like that there was a, a little bit of a bumpy road to start but you can see the improvement and I want to move on move to the Shane a little bit because like, like you mentioned he's been rumored since he was in Colorado of being traded to Montreal. Uh, then he went to Ottawa. Then he went to Columbus. And now he's potentially finally headed to free agency. Where would he fit in, in his Montreal team? I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I have no idea. And I would rather put the money towards <laughs> Eric Carlson or someone else, you know, in the trade market. Because if we look at Montreal center depth right now, Philip Deneau is the top center right now, and if you argue me on that, I'm going to slap you with a stats chart. He was a Selkie-worthy top-line center on the one of the best lines in hockey this year. Max Domi had 70 points as a center this year, and Jesperi Kotkaniemi was incredible in his role, and then Jordan Wheel and Nate Thompson are on the fourth line. And then even behind that, you have Ryan Paling, and then Nick Suzuki, and then Jake Evans and then Lucas Vedemo, and then Michael McCarron, possibly. There's so many centers on this team that I'm trying to figure out where Matt Duchesne fits without displacing someone who earned their spot last year and played extremely well, and especially for the money that he's going to command, you know? it's I don't think Matt Duchesne's a bad player, and if this was a year ago and Matt Duchesne was rumored to be heading to Montreal, I would have been all over that, but this year... I'm finding it harder to see who does he replace at the center position in Montreal. Especially with uh, Kotkaniemi coming in with one more year of experience and a full summer of training. Because I think you'd you'd rather move him up one spot and Domi down one spot. You can move Domi to wing as well. Yeah. And, and 
see, you know, obviously he's not a necessarily a natural center as well. So there, there's lots of options. But the, the the problem with Montreal, and I say problem um, kind of loosely, but not, is that they need a, a game breaker. And I don't know if, you know, moving Domi to the wing and replacing of Duchesne is, I mean, obviously it helps, but if if that, you know, costs Nick Suzuki a spot or Ryan Paling a spot, I mean, is is it worth it for what Duchesne might want? And I don't know if it is. Um, but obviously that, that does then allow you to maybe trade for a defenseman or, or something like that. There's lots of different options here. But it's kind of weird that we're talking about too many centers and optimism in Montreal. That just seems weird. <laughs> uh, you know, too, too many prospects, too many draft picks, and too many centers. You know, it's it's really a bizarro world uh, in Montreal right now. It's a very good problem to have in that <laughs> it really it's like is. I look at the AHL and I'm like, where the hell are all these centers going to play? It's like, where the hell? <laughs> it's like there are four centers. Like Lucas Vedemo was the top defensive center in Laval last year and could for all intents and purposes be the fourth line center this upcoming year because Paling and Suzuki and Evans are all there still. And it's, you look at it and you go, okay, you know what? If they can roll four lines and all the prospects are playing 15 minutes a night, does that make the team better? Everyone's going to play equally or they're going to shift people around because Montreal's development program seems to be on track. It's just a matter of now at the NHL level, it's a little bit harder to do with guys that have been playing there, especially with how deep Montreal is on some of their wings. And it looks like they're going to have to start maybe moving some of these wingers out and make hard decisions on what to do with some of these guys, you know, especially if they want to move Domi to make room for Matt Duchesne. Yeah. And there's also a couple of potential wingers in free agency in terms of Artemi Panarin and Jess Skinner. They're, they're potential free agents too. And there's, there's a lot of guys who could be available. And the, the funny thing is, you know, going into training camp this year, Jake Evans might be the kind of forgotten guy between the Suzuki hype, Kotkaniemi and Domi and all those guys and Paling. Evans didn't have training camp last year because he was still dealing with the injury from from rookie camp. And he's a guy who can who basically was the number one center in Laval for most of the second half, if not all of the second half of the season in his first professional year. And I feel like he's a guy who everyone's going to be focused on Suzuki and whether he can make the team. You know, Evans is a guy who can who may be able to make that jump as well with a strong camp if he can can get things going. But it's it's fun to look at a Canadian's team that's young and you know thirty thirty five guys deep, and we don't know who's going to be on this team, where they're going to play, as opposed to hoping that Nikita Sherbach can become a top six player or we have, you know, Charles Udon, who knows what's going to happen with him going into July 1st and next season. They still have Pekka as well. And it's, it's a big difference from a year ago when, you know, we're entering training camp with guys like Nicholas Delorier 
and Michael Chaput and Kenny Agostino trying to make the NHL roster, <laughs> which, which this year, you know, you're looking at guys like Nate Thompson and Jordan Wheel and guys who, who really did play well in Montreal, especially Wheel, in, in a role that they were trusted in. And even that makes it that they are, they wanted to come back. You know, they, they both signed contracts well before July 1st in order to secure their their contracts in Montreal. And, and that's, you know, Patrick mentioned talking with, with Christian Foline, and we will have this podcast up uh, as well. So after you listen to this, or if you've already listened to that interview, listen to that as well. Because, you know, guys like Wheel and Thompson and Foline all came over mid-year and all signed contracts. If that doesn't speak to the atmosphere that Montreal built, I don't know what else does. So it's going to be really interesting to see going forward. Obviously, there's a lot of things that's going to change between now and September. I guarantee it will change. We haven't even gotten to Mark Bergman's annual June trade yet. So there's lots of movement to happen, lots of exciting things to come and as opposed to last year when Montreal basically had the third overall pick and that's it this year I couldn't tell you what's going to happen come July 1st come this season and I'm looking forward to it and we'll have you covered here on Absent Minded we're going to have a a podcast again before free agency we're going to have a draft podcast with our resident draft expert David St. Louis that that Patrick's going to be hosting. We have lots of stuff for you. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Patrick, for uh, for joining me. And we'll see you next time on Half Minded. Minded.